Scripture reading this evening will come from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. If you're using a Red Pew Bible, you can find that on page 839. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We continue our series this evening on the topic of the idea of meltdown. Last week we began the series in talking about meltdowns and the concept of melting down or having a, an eruption or a, 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 maybe some sort of attitude problem with regard to difficulties that arise maybe because of anger, maybe because of frustration. We talked about Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to it uh, when God had told him to speak to it. This evening, we're going to be talking about the disciples in the storm, as we just read from Mark chapter 4. And so if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we will be spending the majority of our time this evening in Mark chapter number 4, verses 35 through 41. Certainly, there are a lot of things in this world that we can fear, that we can fear. And so last week, as we talked about our meltdowns coming as a result of frustration or anger, we also need to realize that sometimes our meltdowns can come as a result of the fear or the fright that we possess regarding a particular thing. And so as we said, there's a number of areas in our lives in which we can deal with and face fears and, and fright. Naturally, we think about phobias that people have. And, and as we begin this lesson, let's first and foremost uh, set the foundation that we're not going to try to tell you tonight that you should have no fear whatsoever and that it's wrong in any shape or form or fashion to be maybe a little bit scared of snakes or spiders or something like that. But what we are going to talk about, what we are going to observe is making the contrast and seeing the differences between the disciples in the storm and Jesus in the storm. And so our lesson is going to be broken down into those parts, seeing the contrast between Jesus and the disciples in the storm and the fear that they possessed while they were in the middle of that storm, or at least in, in Jesus's case, the absence of fear. And then in after that, we're going to make some time, spend some time making some applications for us. And then as we close the lesson, I want us to see a picture of this progression away from fear and a, a foundation or a life that is built upon faith, a trust in who our God is. And so let's begin our lesson this evening talking about, first and foremost, seeing the disciples in the storm. Let's see the disciples in the storm. Again, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. 
I want us to first notice that the disciples in verse number 36, what we might say there is a failure to prepare, a failure to prepare. Notice these three interesting words, or depending on how your translation reads, three or four interesting words. Now, when they had left the multitude, after Jesus had just said in verse 35, let us cross over to the other side, it says, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, or as the ESV read in our scripture reading, just as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Now, there's a variety of ways that we could take this to, to mean or, or how we could understand uh, these particular words. We don't maybe know exactly for sure what is meant by this, but it seems like there might be some sort of haste that is taking place here. What we're going to say is that in each one of these cases, and we might say there are three scenes with regard to the disciples in the storm, before the storm, during the storm, and then after the storm. In each one of these cases, fear seems to be present in their lives. In this case, as we said, these three words or four words, depending on your translation, may seem to indicate some sort of haste that is taking place. If you'll notice the beginning of verse number 35, it says, when evening had come. Now, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the chapter, you'll remember that Jesus was actually standing in a boat teaching those, the multitude that were, that were listening to him. And so as evening comes, they have a decision to make as Jesus has just told them, let us cross over to the other side. If you've ever been in a boat, as nighttime approaches, really if you've ever been outside at night, things begin to become a little bit more eerie. And as evening approaches, there's maybe some interpretation to be given here, whether it's saying the afternoon, the early afternoon, and, and some translators say, or some commentators say, it may take about two hours to sail across the Sea of Galilee. But regardless, if it's, if it's later in the day, and you're thinking about, we need to, Jesus is saying, we need to get across to the other side. We, we need to prepare in our minds for in a lot, in, in, our, in our minds for a certain amount of time to get across the sea. And so maybe the, the, the disciples, as they're saying, let's, as the text says, we're going to take him just as he is or as he was, maybe there's some, in their minds, not enough time to, as we might put it in our modern day vernacular, dilly-dally. There's no time to dilly-dally. We need to get on with it. We, if, if we want to get across the other side before nightfall, we need to get going. And we don't have time to shoo the multitudes away or to get out and maybe wait till tomorrow to get across the other side. We need to go now. Some people also say that it may have been the case, right? That, that they were looking off into the distance and maybe that storm was beginning to develop or brew. And you've seen that before, right? Where you can kind of see in the distance, even this last week, I saw towards the south as the, as the rainstorm was moving its way in our direction, you could see those clouds building. And so... There's a lot of things going on here with regard to this idea of making haste. Now, what does that have to do with failure to prepare? We could say maybe they should have prepared with uh, maybe some extra food or, or maybe they should have prepared with some extra clothing or who knows if they had some sort of life jacket or flotation device if they were to end up in a wreck. We don't know all those things, but here's what they really didn't fail or where they really didn't prepare, where they really failed to prepare was in this area. They failed to prepare their minds to trust in and fully be confident in the fact that Jesus being with them, they had nothing to fear. 
They had nothing to fear. Really throughout, as we said, this whole account, there is fear littered throughout each one of the scenes. But fear, as you move on throughout the book of Mark, seems to be present in a variety of different places that the disciples were afraid at a number of different times. And so Jesus, as he rebukes them, as we already read in our scripture reading, is wondering, why are they so afraid? He's asking them, why are they so afraid? Failure to prepare their minds, first and foremost, for the fact that Jesus was at their side. He was with them. And that though they were about to, they didn't know it at the time, if they ended up in a storm, even if they ended up being caught in the sea in the middle of the night, that Jesus was there with them. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had done some sort of miraculous event with them around a boat. Now, we don't have it recorded for us in the book of Mark, but in the other gospel accounts, we have at least, uh, I believe it's in Luke, in the early part of the book, that you find that Jesus tells them to cast the nets on the other side. They, they knew at this point, some, some of them did at least, maybe not all of them had, had been with them to this point, but some of them knew that Jesus had the ability to control things that happened even in the sea, to, to the point that they were able to catch fish even though they hadn't been able to catch anything all night. And so they should have known that Jesus, even going across the sea, would have the ability to be able to protect them and to, to, to be able to, to provide for them whatever they need. And so seeing the disciples in the storm, first and foremost, notice before the storm even gets there, there's a failure in their own mind to prepare for the fact that Jesus was with them. He was by their side. He truly was the Lord of this entire earth. But not only that, notice that there is this fright that takes place during the, tempta- the tempest. They're frightened by the tempest. Notice verses 37 and 38. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, being an outdoorsman, I've had my fair share of times out on the water in, in various boats, whether it be a small uh, little John boat or a kayak or some larger boats. I, I think back to the times as I put myself into the shoes of these men, the times that I was out on the water in some hairier situations. I was never in a storm like this, but I've been in cases where there's quite a bit of wind and you end up with a lot of swells. One time, uh, my entire family, we were out fishing down here on the coast and, and the better time to fish down there apparently, according to Corey, is, is to fish uh, right before a cold front blows in. Well, the cold front, when it's on its way, moves very fast. And you're seeing it off in the distance and you're thinking, oh, I've got plenty of time to make it back to the boat ramp. When all of a sudden here it comes and you're starting to outrun that, that cold front and make it back to the boat ramp in time. Another time, Aaron and I were uh, borrowing someone's little 15-foot John boat, a small little craft, and we were out on Canyon Lake when we still lived in the Central Texas area. And what happened was it happened to be a holiday weekend. And when you get a lot of boats out there, you end up with a lot more of uh, larger swells and and wakes and, and all kinds of stuff going on. And people are pushing the water this way and other people are pushing it that way. And there were times where as we were headed back in the middle of afternoon, trying to make it back to the boat ramp, we were cresting and coming up over those waves. And one time I thought we were going to nosedive straight into the bottom of one. You can think about the, the tempest that, that these men were in and, and how they would have felt. Another time after the Memorial Day flood and the Blanco River had, had 
really risen to historic highs. Aaron and I decided it'd be a good idea to, at least maybe it was just me, probably wasn't Aaron's idea, to take my uncle's kayaks down the Blanco River. And water is so powerful to the point where we got kind of turned sideways and pinned up against a tree. Last year, Chip and, and Jackson and I were fishing and we tried to go out one morning and the wind was so bad that the wakes and the swells were so high that no matter how slow we went, the water, every time we hit a wake, it would spray water up into our faces, into our eyes. And it was salt water and so you could hardly keep your eyes open. You think about all the things these men were feeling and and dealing with, the water spraying and and maybe they're diving down towards these wakes and, and maybe they're being turned around because they can't control where the wind is taking them. It's only natural to think that they would have been fearful in this particular case, isn't it? And it's not like these men had never really been in this situation. Some of them, it seems, were, if if Peter and, and James and John were there, they were fishermen. No doubt at some point along the, their lives, they had dealt with some rough water, but yet here they are frightened by this tempest to the point where they run to the God of heaven and earth and they wake him from his sleep. Think about trying to wake God out of his sleep. That's what these men did. That's how scared they were. That's how frightened they were. Seeing the disciples in the storm, they, there was this failure to prepare, the fright that took place during the tempest. But now notice in verse number 41, they were filled with fear. They were filled with fear. Really back up to verse 40. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? But notice, and they feared exceedingly. Some translations say they were filled with fear and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Again, put yourself in the shoes of these individuals. They had really a right to be at least afraid of what was taking place. It wasn't that they had a right to, to fear and not trust in Jesus, but no doubt any one of us that were there would have been somewhat afraid of what was taking place. But then Jesus is able to stop all of that with just some words. And all of a sudden your mind's starting to turn and you're starting to think about the fact, now we were just fearful of how powerful that was. And Jesus, he's even more powerful than that. They marveled some other accounts in Luke and Matthew say, and they were filled with fear. Now, there's, sometimes we could say this is a righteous fear. There's a right to fear an individual that has that much power and respect God in that way. But you also have to wonder if their fear in this case wasn't also a legitimate type of, I'm afraid of how powerful this individual was. So seeing the disciples in the storm, there was a failure to prepare. They were frightened by the tempest. They were filled with fear, but now let's contrast that with Jesus in the storm. Seeing Jesus in the storm. First, notice that again, as we, we already are aware of some of these things, he was sleeping in the boat. We, we, we just sang it. We, we have songs uh, for our little children that we're aware of these things, but notice again, read in your Bible, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat, verse 37, so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow to the point they had to awaken him to tell him to get up and ask him, do you not care that we are perishing? I said a moment ago that these, at least some of them being former fishermen, 
would have had their fair share of rough water at times, but Jesus, he was the son of a carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter. And, and it might be said, well, how much time had he really ever spent on a boat? Maybe, for all we know, this is one of the first times that he'd ever been on the Sea of Galilee in this way, and here he is sleeping in the boat. Now, yes, he was tired from a long day of teaching, but there's also an element to say that he is confident in his power, but also God's power to protect him and knowing that God had a plan, a purpose for him in this world, in this life, to redeem all of mankind, and that he would protect him through that. And he's sleeping in the boat, you think about how it, in verse 37 it says, the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now Jesus could have been sleeping on an elevated platform, but it says he was in the stern. He was towards the back of the boat. <clears throat> and you, you might kind of think about maybe Jesus was laying down on the bottom of the boat. And he wasn't just getting pelted by the spray over the, over the gunnels, but, but also that as the boat was filling, he was laying in water perhaps to the point that he was able to sleep through that. Seeing Jesus in the storm means recognizing that he can have a peaceful night's rest even in these circumstances, even in this type of situation because of who his faith is in. We say who his faith is in, well, he's God, what do you mean? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two, tells us that we're to look unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. Do you realize that Jesus also possessed faith? That he is the one who perfected faith, as some translations render that particular verse. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He had perfect and complete faith, even in these circumstances. But notice the stilling of the tempest. Verse number 39. He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Two words, or two phrases, three words, peace, be still. That first word, peace, in other passages is often translated to keep your peace or hold your peace. In other words, when you tell someone to hold their peace, you're telling them, though you might have something else to say, hold it back. Jesus is telling the storm, I know that there is more anger built up in you, but hold your peace, keep your peace. Then the second phrase, be still. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, that original word in the Greek is translated, do not muzzle an ox. The idea of muzzling an ox to, to control it or to prevent it from opening its mouth to be able to eat or feed any longer so that you can uh, basically cause it to work or do the things for you that you want it to do. Jesus is, in essence, muzzling the storm. Not only did he tell it to hold back its, and hold its peace and to hold back whatever else it had to say through its actions, if you will, but also that it was, that like Jesus was muzzling it, that he had that much control over it. We, we just sang, Daniel let us in, Master of the Tempest is Raging, and I've, I brought this to your attention before that my dad would sing this to, to me and my brothers as we were going to sleep at night, and we've done that for our children as well at times. Oh, that saying to my children, peace be still, would actually cause them to be still sometimes. Jesus, with those words, could absolutely still young children. But even more than that, 
he was able to still this tempest. How powerful, how amazing our Savior is and was. Sleeping in the boat, stilling the tempest. But then notice in verse 40, strengthening their faith. Strengthening their faith. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? There's a variety of ways we could read this, right? We could read this as Jesus, why are you so fearful? Do you still not have any faith? Kind of like caustically coming down on them for it. Or maybe Jesus in this opportunity sees them fearful and asks them, why, why are you still fearing? Why do you still have no faith? Why are you so, uh, of so little faith, as some translations put it? I don't necessarily think that Jesus is here scolding them or coming down sternly on them just for the sake of, of scolding them. We know that Jesus is all about building people up and helping them to be strengthened in their faith. Yes, sometimes Jesus needed to be stern, but in every case, he did all things well a few chapters later in chapter number seven. He would have done nothing in a sinful matter. When we talk about meltdown tonight, we're not saying that Jesus had a meltdown. We're saying the disciples had this meltdown in the storm. Here he is strengthening their faith He's taking time to invest in them, even in this difficult moment. Even when he was tired, he could have been frustrated that they had woken him from his nap, but yet here he is taking the time to invest in them. There's quite a contrast between the disciples and Jesus. As we said at the beginning of the lesson, it should not be understood as we, as we listen to these things that we're never going to have any type of fear ever in our lives in any circumstance, in any way. Snakes, I'm not saying that you need to be able to lay down with a bunch of snakes and, you know, get over your fear, Indiana Jones, right? But rather that when we are living our lives and we're fearful of the things that are really of eternal consequence or we're fearful of the things that really matter beyond just the, the creepy crawlies of the world, that we trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power that he's worked on the cross for us. We trust that God is a faithful and a righteous judge and that he loves us and that he ultimately is eternally looking forward to spend eternity with us if we but trust in him. Trust in Hebrews chapter 11 over and over again looks like, or faith over and over again in chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 looks like trust conjoined with obedience. And as you think about what this trust is, as we alluded to earlier, already these disciples had seen Jesus work a number of miraculous things. He'd seen them heal people. He had seen them cause fish to fill their nets, so many fish in their nets that they couldn't haul them all into the boat. They should have trusted that having seen all those things that Jesus had already done, that they had nothing to fear so long as he was with them. And yet they still feared and so some applications for us for our lesson tonight. Some lessons of application. Number one, we don't have Jesus' power to be able to calm the storm. We're sometimes going to face storms in our life. Maybe not these literal storms as we're thinking about, but maybe some sort of figurative storm. But we do have the power to choose if we'll go into meltdown mode. If we will go into meltdown mode, you think about 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. Timid Timothy seems to be able, or not being willing to maybe put himself out there, maybe for fear of persecution, whatever it may have been, but, but 
Paul says to him, God has given us or not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, as you think about the noise that was going on around them, is it really any surprise that they would have seen those things and been fearful of those things to a degree? Right? How can, you, how can you not see this huge storm coming your way and not have a little bit of fright or uncertainty or, or maybe wonder about what's going to happen next? But the problem was these disciples, instead of seeing who was beside them, they were paying more attention. Their focal point was on who was and what was going on around them, which is our next application Meltdowns are the result of improper focus. Meltdowns are the result of improper focus. As we said, instead of focusing on who was right there with them, beside them, Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, the one who had created even all of the storms, he was there beside them and yet they were focused on what was around them. You think about 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 37. As David goes to face Goliath, Saul questions him and and asks him, are you really going to go before this great giant? And David says, the same God who delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear is the same one who will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. His focal point, his focus was not on that giant that was before him, but rather on the God who could deliver him. And so sometimes our meltdown moments are the result of improper focus. Again, it's not to say that we are never going to have a little bit of anxiety about things that are going to happen in our life. But when those times come, what am I going to listen to? Where is my focus going to be? Is it going to be focused on and fixated only on those circumstances that are going on around in my life, the storms? Or am I going to be fixated and focused on my God? who is going to be able to deliver me, if not in this life, in the life to come, the life hereafter. And we can be confident in his faithfulness to us in that way. Notice number three, meltdowns are often at the expense of others. They're often at the expense of others. Notice verse 38, verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Not only was it the case for Jesus, I'm sure, that it might have stung a little bit to him to hear them wonder, be, be concerned about whether or not he could actually do something for them. As though he didn't have that power and hadn't already demonstrated that power to them. But then another layer is added on to that, which says, God, Jesus, not only are you not doing something about this, but are you not even powerful enough for it? But on top of that, do you not even care about us? And meltdowns are often at the expense of others. In this case, Jesus. How is it for us sometimes when we lose our cool? Maybe not even necessarily out of anger and frustration, although sometimes that can be the case, but sometimes out of fear. The things that we don't want to happen to others or the things that, that we're afraid of in our own lives and so we, we, we don't put ourselves out there and develop relationships with other people or maybe we, we don't give as we should because we're worried f- about our finances and all of these things come into play with regard to fear and oftentimes those meltdowns are at the expense of other people. 
And so we've got to keep control of our fear and put our full trust in the Lord. Lesson of application number four. God can use even our meltdown moments to refine us if we will let him. God can use even our meltdown moments to refine us if we will let him. Notice verse 40, as we alluded to earlier, he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Question, is it possible that Jesus knew that that storm was already on its way before they ever even left the shore? Is it possible that Jesus knew this was an opportunity to teach them before it ever even actually happened? Is it possible that Jesus allowed this storm, which then developed into their meltdown moment, to be a teaching moment for them? And so it is the case, perhaps, that we need to realize that God providentially can work through our circumstances and situations, the things that we fear, the things that we're anxious about, to allow us to be refined, to be improved, to become more like Jesus instead of like the disciples in this particular scenario. And so four lessons of application. Let's close this evening with this. What does it look like for us to move away from fixating on our fear to having a full trust, a confidence, a supreme trust in God despite what's going on around us? We don't know which disciples were in the boat for sure. We might surmise that Peter was there as he was there very on early in the beginning. And that being that Peter was one whose mouth oftentimes got him into trouble, we might wonder if Peter was the one that came to Jesus and said, Lord, save us, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, of course Jesus cared about them. But Peter is one that sometimes might have got his tongue twisted up or stuck his foot in his mouth. Maybe he was the one that said that, we don't know, but, but maybe he was. Notice Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 we see that Peter has grown, if it was the case that he was the one that said that on the boat. Peter was in prison, and his fellow apostle James had just been killed at the hands of Herod the king. Notice verses 1 through 7 as we read this together and see the growth in this great man, the apostle Peter. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church and he killed the brother, he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Do you think Peter was maybe a little bit anxious about that? Do you think Peter was maybe a little bit fearful about what was going to happen? Not fearful in the sense that he didn't trust in his God, as we'll point out here in just a minute. But regardless, as you're potentially going to your death, you are maybe starting to have some emotions build up inside of you. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now notice next in verse five. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. 
And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. If you were in Peter's situation, potentially going to your death the next day, even maybe in the next few hours, where would, what would you be doing? How would you be feeling? Do you think that you'd be able to find peace enough to sleep? Well, it turns out he looks more like Jesus in this particular moment, maybe perhaps than he'd ever had. As Jesus was sleeping in the storm here, Peter was sleeping so much that he was bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison and behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. The idea is Peter was so sound asleep that a light shining on him as he's in this prison, no doubt would have been a very dark prison cell. And you walk out of the building, man, I, I leave out of the office during the day for lunch and I walk outside and that white pavement, it just really blinds you if you don't have your sunglasses on. It's dark, kind of darker inside. You walk outside, it's bright. He's sleeping here in this, in this prison cell and this bright light shines on him and he doesn't wake up. That's how fast asleep he is. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly and his chains fell off his hands. Not exactly analogous to the storm, right? That, that Jesus is sleeping through, water spraying him and he's moving up and, up and down. But the illustration is there, isn't it? Peter is asleep despite this great storm he was facing in his life. There wasn't a meltdown moment here that we're aware of. Here he is confidently and steadfastly trusting in his God. So the question for us this evening is, are we allowing those fearful moments in our lives to control us to the point of meltdown moment? Are we allowing us, the things in, in, that are going on around us, whether that be whatever storm in our life or difficulty that we're facing that we're fearful of, that we're afraid of to control us, to cause us to, to be fearful and lash out at others or, or to do things that we maybe wouldn't normally do? Or are we like our Lord and Savior, steadfast, immovable through the storms of life? We don't see him entering into meltdown mode. He is perfect. He's done all things well. He went about doing good. Let's be like our Savior this evening and every day of this week and the rest of our lives. Thank you for your attention this evening. We always want to extend the invitation to give an opportunity for those that maybe are not Christians to have the opportunity to have their sins washed away in a watery grave of baptism. We'd love to study with you if you don't know all about that and what that entails. We, we have, give you the opportunity to sit down, whether it's in the office or in your home, wherever it may be, in a public place, to teach you what the Bible says about salvation. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you've allowed some of these fearful things in your life to control you to the point that you've lost trust and confidence in your God. Whatever the case may be, we'd encourage you to come as together we stand and as we sing.